You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Well, it's wonderful to see you, all of you. It's wonderful to see you and some new faces from some of the stuff we were doing this week with the mission team. Welcome. And some faces I haven't seen in a while. Welcome back. What a wonderful, 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 beautiful blessing. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you to go to Romans chapter 13. We're just continuing in our series through Romans. If you want to use one of the Bibles underneath the seats there, it's going to be on page 1007 in the church Bible. We're going to be looking at Romans 13, just a a small little snippet here, verses 8 through 10. So if you want to make your way there, kiddos, uh, make sure your parents are there. You can make sure they get to the to the chapter. Big numbers the chapter, little numbers the verses. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Let's go ahead and read God's Word together. It says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Lord, as we seek to understand what you have communicated through your apostle, Paul, to us, Lord, in your holy word, help us to see it and understand it. Help it to to grip our souls, that we'd be excited about it, that we'd be moved and stirred to draw close to you. Lord, help me to preach this word faithfully help us to hear this word truly. And God, it's my hope and prayer that you would change our lives, that you would mark us by who you are, that we would really be a people who love one another well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week, if you were here, I preached Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, and that meant I had to stand in this pulpit, and I had to tell you that God was and is commanding us to obey the government authorities appointed over us. That was some tough stuff. And plenty of you let me know that that was some tough stuff. I get it. I feel it. I understand it's tough for me. We want to, And we talked about when, and we, you know, there might be exceptions, but the chief point is that we fall. That was hard. That was hard. Nobody in here wanted to hear, hey, obey the government. Today I'm preaching Romans 13, 8 through 10, and that means I have to tell you to obey God's law. Now, isn't it interesting? Because if you're like me, you find that a lot more comforting, don't you? Oh, that's a relief. I can get behind that. Who would have thought, hey, obey your government would be so much harder than hey, obey God? Now, if I went to a different setting, if I went somewhere else, that could be a very complicated discussion. But praise the Lord in here, we are a people, I believe, who really truly want to follow the Lord. So we've already seen in the book of Romans, as he's moving through the first 11 chapters, that Paul lays out this beautiful theology, this wonderful doctrine of the church. And then we hit Romans 12, 1 and 2. And since that hinge verse about giving ourselves as a living sacrifice and not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, since then we're seeing what it looks like to be a living sacrifice for God. As we obey him, as we follow him, as we love him, as we give ourselves over, what should that look like? That's the section we're in as we finish this out. One aspect of giving ourselves to God as a living sacrifice is to love people. And to love people, this text tells us we need to 
obey God's commands. How do we love people? This says we obey God's commands. That's what this is about. And, 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 and the society of all of our popular books we read and all the stuff we talk about, that might seem a little bit off. We often want to say, I know how to love people, and I know how I should love people, and let's love people like... But God's saying, no, 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 this is how you love people. So Paul is continuing in his instructions. This is what it looks like if we're going to live as living sacrifices. He tells us we need to love one another, but we don't get to decide for ourselves. I appreciated uh, Pastor Josiah's, like, everybody wants pineapple pizza. Nope, not everybody. Not everybody. That's not how we show love. We, we listen to God, right? We just need to listen. He tells us what it means to love others. In this case, loving others is specifically obeying the 6th, 7th, 8th, and 10th commandment, and then presumably also the 5th and 9th too. For any of you who struggle with the commandments, you can appreciate that Paul's like, and those other ones. <laughs> Let's look at it again. Let's just... Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And he's talking about the Old Testament law. And then if you have a Bible that's, that's printed like mine, it has in bold in mind where we're quoting from the Old Testament. The commandments, here's a quote, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up by this commandment. Here's another quote. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. It's difficult to tell. It's hard to see, but which quote Paul is using. But to sum up those six commandments, the last six of the Ten Commandments, he quotes either Leviticus 19.18 that says, Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he's quoting from that text in the law. Or it might be thinking back to when Jesus summed up the law when he was questioned by the, by the legal person to say, hey, how do, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 19, 19. So it could be both. Obeying these commandments is how we love our neighbor. Jesus has said it, Paul is saying it, Leviticus says And then Paul gives it to us in the inverse. He gives it to us in the negative. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So here's the question. Is not murdering your neighbors loving your neighbors? Well, yes. But is not murdering your neighbors the only way you love your neighbors? Like, I didn't murder my neighbors today. Nailed it. Yes. My neighbors are alive. I've succeeded in obeying God. And some days are harder than others, aren't they? But... Is that how we love them, is simply by not murdering them? Well, no, not exactly. This is much more complex than murder. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sort of explains what the heart of these commands should look like. He explains how we should understand them. He gives us a model. In Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Jesus said, You have heard it said, he's going to quote, You've heard it said to our ancestors, Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus has tied even anger in our heart to this command. In Matthew 5, 27 through 28, he says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman, or a man, you ladies, 
lustfully has already committed adultery with her. See, Jesus is showing us that the, the violation of the law in the Ten Commandments starts with the smallest little sinful seed deep down in the recesses of our heart. It's not at the very outward end where we see that come to fruition. It's at the little seed. I know that the, some of the kids in their Sunday school lesson this morning while we were all studying were having a lesson about Cain killing Abel. That didn't start with, you know, picking up the rock. That started with jealousy and hatred and anger. Jesus is showing us that the violation of the law starts in very small places. It's from these same depths that we're actually supposed to love our neighbors. It's from these deep recesses where sin starts that is also supposed to bubble out. And so by going to these depths in the obedience to the law and, and obeying in this way, we will naturally be people who love our neighbors and give ourselves over to God as a living sacrifice. If we're going to go to this depth, this is going to be the natural and, frankly, the, the easy byproduct. And then also living in this way renews our mind and keeps us from being conformed to this world. We don't like the word obedience, but that's the byproduct of this obedience to what God has for us. So let me ask you. Who would you rather have as your neighbor? Right, sale sign goes up, you get to pick your neighbor. Who would you rather have as your neighbor? Someone who loves God and obeys God's word to the deepest depths of that person's soul. Or would you rather have somebody that looks a lot more like the world around us? Who would you rather have as your neighbor? Who would you rather have as a coworker? That kind of kind, loving ambassador of Jesus Christ or someone who fits all the trends on social media? Who would you rather have as your spouse? Who would you prefer to marry? Which, by the way, your spouse is your closest neighbor. The person who is completely honest with God and seeking to live as a man or a woman after God's own heart, or the person is totally okay chasing after the heart of darkness offered by this world. Who would you rather have as your spouse? Now here's the real question. Which one of those neighbors are you? Which one? The temptation with a text like this one, and it's a big temptation. We wrestle with this. It's kind of twofold. The first is to think that we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. Have to obey. That's Old Testament stuff. We don't have to obey that anymore. It doesn't apply to us. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is to think that our obedience to the Ten Commandments is what actually saves us, that the works and the obedience of being a good person saves us. Okay, neither of these are correct in that way. In the second part of Romans 13, 8, and then the, excuse me, the, yeah, the second part of that verse, and then the last part of verse 10 help bring some clarity to this. If you, if you look at those, these two verses say in part, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then it says, love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So by appealing to these commandments, specifically I would say the last six of the Ten Commandments, we're somehow fulfilling the law by doing the law. That's what Paul's arguing here. We're doing this. We're, we're doing something good. So we still have an obligation to the law in some way. Not for our salvation, but clearly in some way. The law is not abolished. 
The law still applies. It's not just a nice museum display. Something we think about in the past. It exists for us today in Matthew 5. 17 through 19, Jesus said, Don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. All things. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not abolish the law. He did not erase the law. Now here's, here, hear this. Every single person who has ever lived and every single person who will ever live will be judged against the law of God. Every single one of us. And the smallest, most tiny transgression in even the slightest amount will earn the wrath of God and damnation forever, guilty as charged. The tiniest bit. Romans 3.23 says all have failed. None of us have measured up. None of us can stand innocent before God in this way. Romans 8.8 says, those who are in the flesh, that's all of us, cannot please God. You can't do it. You can't do it. We were born into failure. We were born into sin because we were born into the image of Adam. And Adam, who was wonderfully made in the image of God, was corrupted in sin. And now we've all fallen short. Before we've even started, we've all missed the mark. And then, to add insult to injury, we just keep heaping the sins on, don't we? Just keep piling them on. But this is why the gospel is such good news. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, how is that? How can that be? Because Jesus took on humanity, but he didn't take on the sin nature. How? How could, how could you be a human without the sin nature? Because Adam was not his ultimate and final father like he is for us. God is Jesus' ultimate father. So then, not being born of the sin nature, Jesus also lived a perfect life. Not succumbing to the temptations of Satan or the difficulties of this life in that way. Not even breaking the slightest and the single bit of the law. He never sinned. Jesus never sinned, and he didn't have Adam's sin nature. Now, he could have kept all that for himself. He could have entered into humanity, could have checked it all out, could have said, well, this was great, could have lived that perfect life, could have returned to the Father, peace out, ascended to heaven without doing a darn thing. He could have. That's not what he did. It's not what he did. Instead, he arranges this trade. This great exchange. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my righteousness. That is, I'm going to give you my good standing in this perfect life. And in exchange for what I'm going to give you, I'm going to go ahead and take your sin and your death sentence. That's the result of your sin. I'm going to go ahead and take all that. We're going to switch this out. And in the process, because of this exchange, you get to be adopted into my father's family. You get to be a child of God. You get to live with God forever because you now have my righteousness on you. And then, because of this exchange, 
Jesus gets killed for your sin and for my sin. Jesus gets crushed under the weight of that death sentence. Praise the Lord, he's not merely a human or he'd still be in the grave. He has two natures. He took on a human nature and he has a divine nature. He's the son of God. And by the power of God, he was raised from the dead on the third day, defeating death and the grave, coming up with the keys of death in his hand. And someday we're going to do the same. He said, I'm going to raise every single person, every single person. All people who have ever lived will be raised. All people who have ever lived and will ever live will live forever. We say if you follow Jesus, you can have eternal life, but that's because we're contrasting it with eternal death, but all people will exist forever. So we're all physically raised, and at the end of time, when it's all said and done, and all of humanity is raised together, they're at one final judgment, the court case, at which all people, you and me and all of us, will be judged against God's law. All people. But for those who've made this great exchange, there's no condemnation. We stack it up. We say, let's see all the sins. Well, where's your sins? Oh, they're on Jesus and crushed under the death penalty, and you have Christ's blood on you. Enter into my kingdom. Well done, good faithful servant. Now, how fair is that, really? I mean, talk about the ultimate plagiarism. We're coming in on everything Christ did, but if it was anything we did, we would be cast out. This is good news. Jesus says, if you believe that he is who he says he is, if you will call upon his name, if you will trust him and say, you know, I'm going to let you call all the shots. Good trade, Jesus. You call the shots. You say how I'm going to live. You, you say it all. He says, if you will do that, and if you believe that he was raised on the third day, truly verifying that he is who he says he is, he says, this is a good trade. You can take it to the bank. You will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. If you don't know this Jesus, he'll make the trade with you. If you want to talk to me more about it, let's talk. Let's talk. It's a good trade. Jesus will save you. But we ask, and I hear this a lot, but if Jesus has already taken the punishment for all the times that we haven't obeyed God, all the times we fell short of the commands, why do we still have to obey the commands? Are you kidding me? I hate when I hear this question. This question is just maddening. First, in light of what I just told you, why would you want to violate God's commands? In light of that great trade, why would you, like, hey, I didn't deserve any of this. I want to do what you would have me to do to live, even if Jesus did pay for it. And by the way, I don't want to keep piling more on. I don't want to keep bearing down on Jesus and, and just adding salt to the wounds. Why would you want to disobey God? If you're a Christian, if you've made this exchange, you should want to serve the Lord and obey Him. Second, why we don't keep wanting to sin is because God is telling you and me in Romans 3, 8 through 10 that we just read that obeying God's commands is how you love your neighbor. So if you really want to be a good neighbor, you want to love your neighbor, you want to, you want to serve the Lord, you need to obey God. And in fact, obeying God is how you love God. It's not what saves you, it's just how you grow in your love for God. This is what you do if you've given yourself as a Romans 12, 1, living sacrifice. If you are indeed a Christian, it's what we do. 
It's how we live. It's the ethic in which he's given us by which we live. And finally, because while Jesus has ultimately fulfilled the law by his perfect life, death, his resurrection, his ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father, while he's ultimately fulfilled that, he's also working out something in you and me that has to do with this law. The law will be fulfilled in us in some way, and that is our sanctification. That is our growing more and more like Christ for our good. Romans 8, verses 3 through 4 says, He condemned sin, God, condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Why? In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us. who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now why in the world would he do that? Let's keep reading, Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Does that not sound like Romans 12, 2? It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. God is working out the law in us that we somehow are fulfilling the law, which he's already perfectly fulfilled, so that we could be sanctified, so that our minds would be transformed, so that we wouldn't look like this world. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. And somehow the law is the mechanism by which all this is happening. So we obey God's law, including the Ten Commandments, because we love God. And by our obedience and our love for God, the love of our neighbors is the overflow. It's the outpouring of the love we have for God. It's the natural byproduct. It's the fruit. And it's not optional for those who've given themselves over to God. It's what we would expect to see. A Christian who doesn't love his neighbor is like the guy who has all the Harley gear and hates motorcycles. Like it just doesn't work. Let me say it from a biblical perspective. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Because if you love God, you obey God. And when you obey God, your love for your neighbor is the natural outflow. So how are you doing loving God? Well, let's just check by asking how are you doing loving your neighbor. And let's not forget the man who said, and who is my neighbor, trying to get out from underneath that difficult task. It's all the people marching in the pride parade. It's all the people persecuting Christians. It's all the people that think you're some kind of crazy cuckoo who holds on to something from the past. It's also that guy who lets his dog poop in your front lawn. It's all of them. Right? It's all of them. And we're called to love them as the natural byproduct of loving God and obeying God. So why do Christians have a tough time loving our neighbor these days? And don't try to pretend like you're doing this perfectly. I know, I'm a neighbor too. I get it. I'm, this is hard stuff. This is hard. It's hard to love the people around us, isn't it? Why do we struggle with this? Why is the Christian church struggling with this? Why do we have such contention today between the church and the world? 
Some of that is going to be a byproduct of what Jesus said, you will be hated because of me, but not all of it. Why do we have such contention in the church? Why are we struggling? Let me say it another way. Why does it look so difficult right now? And why are we having a hard time loving? I think it's because we don't know God's commands. We, we really don't know his word. We don't really know his commands. And although they're written on our hearts, he says, I will write their commands, I will write my commands on their hearts. So we're supposed to have this written on our hearts. We are so distracted and we are so filled up with everything else in the world that, that we can't even see the law written on our hearts. We don't even see it. We just don't know God's commandments. And if we don't know God's commandments, how are we supposed to live for God? How are we supposed to live for Him if we don't even know how He's told us to live? My apologies to the translator. I'm going to go off script here for a second. I was reading in Judges in my reading. Judges chapter 2. And there's a section there that says the next generation were horrible and wicked and evil. And why was that? Well, if you read, you'll discover it wasn't because their parents were amazing, godly people teaching them the fear and the admonition of the Lord. It was that as they got complacent with God, the next generation was completely wicked and far from God. It only takes one generation to forget the commandments of the Lord. And if we forget the commandments of the Lord, the next generation won't even know them. How can we live for God if we don't even know what the commandments that God would ask us to live are? Back on script for the translator. A couple weeks ago, I asked a few people here at church and then outside the church too, if they could list all the Ten Commandments. Like fun little exercise, right? Bonus points if they could get them all in order. It was super awesome. A couple of kids... We're like, yeah, I got it. Bang, 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 bang. Good job, kids' parents. That's good parenting. Good job. This was a tough question for most of the people, admittedly. We walked around, and, and I, was, I was shocked. Like, it, it, it really hit me. This is hard stuff. Could you do it? If we did a little test right now, if we passed out a sheet of paper, could you list all the Ten Commandments? <clears throat> Could you get him in order? Do you know him? This is a problem. I mean, this is, this is a problem. If the church struggles with the Ten Commandments, how could we possibly imagine the world to have a clue at all? If God's people don't even know, why would we expect anybody anywhere would live by them? Back in the 80s and 90s, <clears throat> it kind of bled into the early 2000s. There were a lot of people arguing and, and fighting about the Ten Commandments hanging in courtrooms and being hung up at schools. And then there were court cases that bled out from this, and there was all this, this fighting about what we should do. <clears throat> and Christians were fighting against people who wanted to remove the Ten Commandments from schools, and they were, they were angry and they were frustrated, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter if the Ten Commandments were hanging up in the courtrooms if the laws were not written on people's hearts. It didn't matter if we had them hanging up in the schoolhouses if the parents who sent their kids to school there wouldn't even be willing to put them up in their homes or teach them at their dinner table. 
It's not going to be learned by osmosis as kids walk past all the signs. I walk past signs every day and don't read them. If stuff's not written on your heart, it doesn't matter. If we're not going to teach our children, the next generation is going to have parades in celebration of violating every one of God's laws. If we're not going to do the hard work, we can't do the hard work if we don't know ourselves. So here's my challenge to us, church. Learn the Ten Commandments. Not because they save you, but because that's what God would have us to do, to expect us to live. When he gave the Ten Commandments, he had already saved the people out of Egypt. They were already saved. This is the ethic by which Christians should live. Learn the Ten Commandments. Memorize them. I asked a couple people, hey, do you know the Ten Commandments? And they were like, ugh. They came back the next week and said, we memorized them. (laughs) Go ahead, ask. And I'm like, I don't need to now. (laughs) You got it. Memorize the Ten Commandments. You can find them in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 18. They're restated in Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 21. And by the way, if you read the Gospels, you'll see how they play out with Jesus there too. He quotes quotes the first nine of them. He quotes nine of them, not the first nine. He quotes nine of them. And then he teaches on one of them the Sabbath. You can find the Ten Commandments in all the Gospels. You can read them, some of them quoted right here. They're all around our Bible. Let's, let's learn these commandments. But there's more. Paul does not go to some of the other commandments in the Bible. He uses the Ten Commandments as his example. But did you know that Jesus gave us commandments, imperatives, We call them the commands of Christ because Jesus gave us commandments. I posted them in the Iron Sharpens Iron group on Realm. You can read them. You can see scriptures of the command. You can see examples of when they play out. Do you know the commandments of Jesus? At one point, Jesus even said, a new commandment I give you. Love others as I love you. And it's not to go to the cross. He just got done washing their stinky, smelly feet. He humbled himself and he loved. He said, you need to love your brothers and sisters and even the world the way I just loved you. That's a command. He gives many other commands. Believe. Repent and believe. Be baptized. Pray. Love. Give. Serve. Attend with your faith family. Make disciples. I just want to challenge you. I want to go on realm. Find it. Talk with us. If you don't know, if you've never gone through a Commands of Christ study, ever, we're doing that with some people. You call me up, and I will make sure you have an appointment with Robbie. No, I mean, we'll go with him. We will work it out. We'll set up a class. We'll set up some discipleship. We need to know the Ten Commandments. We need to know how Christ came and commanded his church, his people. This is how God would have us to live. Let's set this up. Let's know this. It's not that hard, really. It's really not that hard. Learning the Ten Commandments is even easier than trying to program the clock in your car when the time zone changes. You can do this. So church, it's my encouragement that if we're going to really know God's Word, which is part of our mission statement, and live God's Word, we actually have to start with knowing God's Word. Let's do that. Let's get this down. And then my encouragement is that we live it. Because that's how we love our neighbor. And that's how we love God. And that's how we're sanctified. That's how we're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind for God's kingdom. We can do this. Let's do this. Christians love God by obeying his commands. 
transforms us, and then we know His commands, when we live His commands, the natural byproduct is that we love our neighbor. The overflow of loving God is loving our neighbor. So let's start by knowing how God would lead us in this and doing that and loving him well because of the natural byproduct will be that our neighbors who need to see Jesus, who need to see this God, will see him through us. And more importantly, we'll be obeying as a living sacrifice, not transformed to this world by how we love our neighbors. And they'll see that we love God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these commandments. I thank you for instruction. You didn't just leave us out flapping to figure it out, God. Thank you. Thank you for instruction and guidance. And Lord, we, we know if we live by this, we'll be better people and better neighbors. And Lord, we know we want our neighbors to live by this. So Lord, I just ask you would you would by the power of your gospel, which you died on the cross to make possible, you would strengthen us to do this well. That you would move in us and that you would stir in us that we would know and live your word. Lord, I want to ask some, some of the folks in here that might struggle with, with memorizing these things. Lord, just write it on our heart or clear the gunk off so we just see it, know it, feel it, and live it naturally. Lord, let us be a church who really deeply loves our neighbors in the ways that you've called us to love. There's lots of things we can do to love them. We know that, God, but I'm asking that we would do what you would have us to do to love our neighbors. Lord, thank you for the the wonderful blessing that we could gather together, that we could encourage one another. Lord, at this time, with four people who have passed away or connected with this church, I ask that you would comfort those who mourn. Lord, those who are struggling with various life things, oh Lord, equip them and empower them. Help us, Lord, to be a people who love our neighbors in this room. That we'd put an arm around one another, that we'd pray for one another, that we'd care for one another. Lord, that we would see a ministry of reconciliation by the power of your gospel, that it starts right here, this morning. And Lord, please, please take that out into the highways and the byways of our community, that they would know we are disciples that they would know that we follow you by how we love one another. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.